When you grow up a ski racer in the upper Midwest, the American Birkebeiner is the pinnacle of the sport. The Olympic team? Sure, that's nice. But if you win the Berkey, imagine growing up in a household that loves the Berkey. You were a standout in Minnesota high school skiing on a team that revels in successes, and you just missed that other big deal, winning the Minnesota State Meet. But in your first crack at the Berkey itself, you win it. That's Elena Sonneson's story. Elena Sonneson has worked for everything she's earned. As a junior skier, she was among the best skiers her age in the country, with flashes of brilliance at national level events that made her stand out. So at 22 years of age, in her first real attempt as an elite skier at the American Birkebeiner, winning it fell in line with those flashes of brilliance. With that win, she is and remains the youngest female winner of the American Birkebeiner. Oh, and by the way, she won it again at 24 years of age. We wanted to do a series of the youngest Berkey champions at the New Year break, but Elena went and qualified to represent the United States at the Tour de Ski, so we had to put it on hold. So as a treat for Berkey week, we wanted to stoke the Berkey flames a little bit with Elena as our guest, who by all accounts, as a two-time Berkey champion, is skiing royalty in the upper Midwest. Threshold caught up with Elena Sonneson after the Tour de Ski in January. Elena, welcome to Threshold. Thank you. I'm excited to chat today. I, I'm going to start where, where I always start with these podcasts. Like I know your family has been pretty involved with skiing for a number of years. In fact, I think I sold or talked about selling your dad some, some of our early test skis uh, when I started coaching at St. Scholastica. And, and, and that was before you were even probably a junior racer. So your family's name has been in my consciousness for at least a decade and a half now. So to, just tell me a little bit about growing up in your family and how skiing has been a part of your life and your family's life. Yeah, well, uh, that doesn't surprise me about my dad. That kind of sums up him in a nutshell. So <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great. But um, yeah, my parents... Um, they, my dad's originally from Colorado, and he was an alpine racer. He uh, moved to Minnesota for his residency, and he and my mom were married by that point, and uh, they went downhill skiing at Buck Hill once, and he said that he wasn't super into it, so they needed to find a new winter sport, and so they picked up cross-country skiing, and um, they fell in love with it. They started racing the Berkey, and all the Midwest marathons and then they started having kids and they taught my older sister, myself and my younger brother all how to ski at a super young age. So basically by the time we could walk, we were out shuffling around and uh, we joined the Minnesota Youth Ski League also. So we were always on Sunday afternoons, we would head to French Park and uh, ski with lots of other skiers that are still racing which is pretty cool the number of elite athletes that have come out of that french park mysl group uh just pretty pretty fun to see how we've kind of developed over the years but yeah i was always um to be completely honest i was a pretty lazy kid i was in it for the hot chocolate and cookies and uh did not really want to go skiing or I was perfectly happy sitting inside, Um, and somehow my parents and my older sister convinced me to go out for the um, middle school cross-country running and then ski team also, and I was definitely following my sister's footsteps. She's always been a role model for me, so um, she's two years older and had had joined both of those teams, and so I figured I might as well give it a shot, and 
um, that's kind of when I started racing uh, a little bit more competitively and started having a lot more fun with it and um, realized that it was pretty fun to go fast and I wanted to go faster and um, things kind of took off from there. So what what year was that? Was that like uh, like in middle school for you? Yeah, seventh grade seventh is grade. when I joined. Um, yeah. Well, you, you kind of touched you kind of touched on where I wanted to go next. So before we get into, into more current stuff, one thing that I want to ask you about is endurance sports at Wyzetta High School. Um, Wyzetta might be most commonly known, kind of nationwide, as this mispronounced home of origin, home of origin of one of the several characters on the '90s hit TV show Beverly Hills 90210, which implies in and of itself, that something about the aspirations of Wyzetta as Minnesota's acceptable origin story for a Minnesota living in Beverly Hills, but we'll get past that. Nowhere in the con- no nowhere in that context would endurance sports, though, ever really weave its way into the 9021 script. So Wyzetta, now for quite some time, has been sort of a breeding ground for some great high school cross-country running, track and field, and Nordic ski teams, some of the best in the country in those sports. So you, you're the first guest I've ever had on Threshold who hails from Wyzetta High School Sports. And your family is sort of a marquee Wyzetta endurance sport family from the last decade or so at Wyzetta. So where do you perceive the culture of endurance sport at Wyzetta coming from? And why do you think they churn out so many great endurance athletes, high school teams? Yeah, um, it, I mean, it was an honor to be a part of the Wyzetta teams, um, cross-country running, track, skiing, everything. Uh, I think if I had to attribute the school's success um, just off of like pinpointing one, one factor, I would say it's Bill Miles, who was the cross-country and track coach for the men's team. Um, and so I never worked with him directly, but he was kind of this legendary figure in running in the Midwest. And he just had this aura about him that was, you know, he had this tough love for everyone on the team and he was going to make you work for it, but he also was going to give you the biggest hug and smile no matter what happened. And, um, he developed, the, the men's endurance side. And I think that the, the women's side kind of followed that. And, um, there was just a lot of inspiration coming from him. And, uh, I think that kind of went, or I guess it transitioned over to the ski side also. And so, um, you know, having Larry Myers as the head coach at Wyzetta for, I don't even know, 20 years, yeah. you know, he, he developed a relationship with all of those kids, and um, over time, that just built kind of this powerhouse that um, the upperclassmen were always encouraging the underclassmen to to work hard and have fun, and it was just inspiring to be a part of, and it kind of fed off of itself from that point. Do you, do you see? Is there a lot of symbiotic relationships uh, in the past and today between the skiers and the runners, or are they mostly primarily different programs? Um, I think it ebbs and flows a lot. I, you know, I, to be honest, I don't know exactly what the crossover is right now. I would say during my time, pretty much every skier was also a runner. There were a few who played soccer or, um, other fall and spring sports, but, um, most of the skiers were running and a lot of the runners, then we would convince them to join the ski team and we showed them how much fun (laughs) it was. So, um, that was, yeah. 
that was always great. Yeah, we see a lot of that in Minnesota, don't we? In Minnesota high school, you see a lot of kids like, you know, a lot of kids that I even coach in college that, that were, you know, they were on the ski team. They almost don't want to tell me they were on the ski team because they don't want me to talk them into skiing because for whatever reason, they don't want to do it. But we see a lot of that in Minnesota, don't we? Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a great winter activity for um, anyone in Minnesota. And um, there's just so much camaraderie around it and so much spirit and joy, I think, that the kids have. And, um, you know, sometimes it means that you're working hard and doing intervals. And sometimes it means you're having a snowball fight and making jumps to go off of. But <laughs> it's all pretty, pretty good and fun. Good. So obviously you were, you were a standout Minnesota high school skiing, the best skier of your generation, probably more than arguably. Um, you took a scholarship, I believe, at the, to ski at the University of Vermont, where you were on the podium twice at the NCAA championships. I think it was twice. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And t- so talk a little bit about, I, I think one of the things that we really haven't hit on is in this podcast is kind of that American culture of how kids navigate from being a, a a good and up you know up and coming skier in high school and how to make that transition to college so talk a little bit about your experience going from high school standout in a state that really kind of makes a big deal about skiing and uh, and how you chose a college to ski at what, what considerations at that time went into your decision to ski at UVM and what were your options besides UVM and factors that you considered Yeah. So, um, back in high school, I definitely had this dream of skiing in college and I didn't really know if it was possible or not, um, or what type of team would take me, but, um, I had kind of started to put so much pressure on myself to earn a scholarship somewhere. And it's something I really wanted. It's something I knew I was capable of, but that pressure started to get to me. And my junior year going into the state meet, I, um, I kind of thought that every coach was going to look at those results and only those results and that the future kind of relied on that one race. And I did not race well. I was completely devastated with my results. I had such high hopes going into it and um, was really disappointed. And um, about a week or two later then, I was racing at Junior Nationals in Fairbanks, Alaska. And I was warming up for the the first race, which was going to be a 5k skate race. And I just, I still was kind of feeling defeated and that I didn't really know if it was possible for me to ski in college. Maybe it wasn't what I wanted. There were other great things. Maybe I would run in college and focus on that. Um, and so in that moment, I remember telling myself as I'm warming up for the race that I'm here, I'm with friends. My parents are here cheering for me. I'm going to have fun and just enjoy this race and who knows what happens on the other side of that. And I went out and I won the race and it was my first junior national title. And um, not only did I win my age group, but I think I was second amongst the the older age group too. And so I, I just had this outstanding performance that kind of came out of left field for me. And I think it was because I finally relaxed and just, enjoyed it and I kind of let the pressure slide off my shoulders for a moment and um so that was a huge lesson to me going forward that no matter what I needed to not let the pressure get to me I needed to still enjoy it and um have fun with it but that in turn then also opened a lot of doors for me and so um I started getting emails from coaches across the country and um I was really excited about the prospect of 
skiing in college. And um, after going to visit a lot of the colleges and um, kind of analyzing what I wanted out of skiing and what I wanted out of an education and what I was willing to um, kind of balance financially as well, it came down to deciding between the University of Vermont and Northern Michigan University. And this was a really tough decision for me because I'd grown up in the Midwest, never moved, only traveled a little bit, and um, was definitely a homebody. And um, Northern Michigan definitely was enticing for me just because it was so much closer to home. I knew my parents would be at every single race and if I needed to, I could go home for the weekend or they could come visit me and um, I could easily come home for whatever holidays I needed to. And Vermont was far away. It was foreign to me. I hadn't really spent much time in Vermont. Um, the Both coaches were so great and um, welcoming and encouraging of uh, whichever decision I came to, but there was just kind of this intimidation around going to, out to Vermont. And mm-hmm. um, so it was, a, it was a really tough decision for me. But ultimately, I, um, I came to the conclusion that if there's ever an opportunity to kind of leave home and try something new, it's going to college. And it's not um, forever. You know, you can, after four years, go back home. If you're really unhappy after a semester, you can transfer. And so... Um, I, yeah, I, I made that decision and I committed to the University of Vermont and I'd say it was one of the best decisions I've ever made, um, just because of the relationships I've, I made there and the experiences I had and putting myself in that, uh, that new setting, it was really eye opening to me, um, and kind of set things off for, uh, being willing to try new things and travel and uh, look for new experiences. And um, so, yeah, really, really excited that I went there. So I, I'm going to back up just a little bit. I'm going to re- revisit two pieces of what you just said. The first one is um, that sort of self-realization at Junior Olympics. There's a lot of kids. I think, I mean, I've been part of the sport. I've been a young athlete myself. I've been a coach for a number of years. And, you know, I see that, I see that, that circumstance, uh, you know, where you kind of let things go and relax and, and it really goes somewhere. And then I've seen people, you know, kind of like freeze from it. So if, if you look, if you were to talk to a young kid, a young you, let's say, like you're in that same situation where, you know, the state meet was a little bit disappointing. Um, what would you tell a kid? What would you tell yourself back then after those state meet championships to, that was disappointing to, to, to get past it? There's always another race. There's always another day. There's always a new, a different set of skis, a new course, a new field, um, different training you can do, and there's always another opportunity. And um, each race doesn't define you, and and that that can be taken on both sides. Whether you win the race or you be you come in dead last, like that, that's not going to define you. What defines you is how you handle both of those situations. And um, yeah, I think that's what's most important. So and then, and then go back to the the freshman year of college thing. So you decided to go to University of Vermont. What were some of the things that made you realize uh, it was the right move when when you went there and and sort of made you settle down at UVM? I just had a blast. <laughs> you know, I um, I connected with the coach really well. Patrick Weaver is still a coach that I will 
call or text and ask questions and seek his advice on things. Um, I feel like we worked well together and the teammates that I instantly made a connection with, you know, we encouraged each other to work hard. I mean, I, at, at that point I had never really realized how hard you can work athletically and that was kind of eye opening as well. And, um, we encouraged each other and we had a great time doing it also, and I think I, I also just kind of fell in love with Vermont as a state. You know, the, um, the Green Mountains are so beautiful. And especially in Burlington, um, you've got Lake Champlain with the Adirondacks looking out on the other side. And the town of Burlington is so cool. There's so much going on. And um, I was really excited about what I was studying. And um, yeah, I think it was kind of the whole package. Yeah. Well, you don't have to convince me. I was out there for a long time in that Burlington area, Lake Placid area, and 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 Middlebury College. In the end, it's, it's it, what I loved about it being from Duluth is that it's like Duluth with mountains, and it was really, really very pretty and very nice place to train. Uh, so you, you don't have to convince me. I I get it. But um, so <laughs> so how did your experience working with Patrick and your teammates at the University of Vermont? First of all, how did it give you the confidence to realize you could have? a post-collegiate ski career, and what made you chose Stratton Mountain um, postgraduate program uh, after college? Yeah, it was it was very gradual, I would say. There was never one moment where I realized, wow, I can ski after college, and this is it. Um, it was very gradual, and the encouragement that I always got from Patrick and um, kind of the, the results and success that followed as well, that was definitely encouraging too. And, um, so I'd say that over the course of four years, it was always something that I was thinking about, but I was never fully committed to. And I was always so proud to be a catamount and still am. And, um, you know, always wanted to represent Vermont and, uh, my school. And, uh, it just, it meant a lot to me to be on that team. And, um, yeah, so then I guess by my senior year, I went into it and, still was open-minded and didn't want to commit to anything, but also was looking at all of my options and um, started talking to a lot of people who were skiing for various clubs and um, kind of thought about which locations I would be interested in living at. Um, And I kind of, I looked at almost every single program except for Stratton. (laughs) I talked to every single coach and um, spoke to athletes at Craftsbury, Sun Valley, um, Bridger Ski Foundation, APU, and I didn't even once consider the SMSD2 team, and I don't really know why. Um, I don't know if it was because I thought I wasn't good enough to make the team, or um, I, I didn't really know anyone on the team, and so there wasn't a connection there that I could make. Um, and then Sperry Caldwell emailed me um, and asked me to chat at Spring Series my senior year. And I was like, okay, well, might as well see what he has to say. And I left that meeting and I was like, wow, I want to go ski for Stratton. That sounds really great. Cool. (laughs) And um, I then then called Pat O'Brien, the head coach, and um, we had another conversation. And I was pretty much sold from there. Just the way they viewed skiing professionally and what they 
felt like was possible for me and for skiing as a country also just where we can go and what we can do and um it was really inspiring and also encouraging to have those conversations with them well, and, and since then, you, you have developed into one of the best skiers in the United States in an era in which the U.S. is one of the best women's teams in the world, which is really cool. And I, and I don't want to open any fresh wounds here, but I think we just have to talk openly about it. But you, you were not named recently to the U.S. Olympic team just last week. And I'm sorry for that. But, um, but the standard and quota is quite high now to earn it. In fact, I think this is possibly and probably the single most difficult women's U.S. Olympic team to qualify for in history. It's easy to point to the Olympics as the goal, but you also just recently completed the Tour de Ski, which is a pretty awesome thing to say in and of itself. And, and what, are you 24 now? Are you 24? I'm 25. Mm-hmm. 25. So as it pertains to you, how does the Olympian thing at 25, how does that loom over your desire to continue to train in ski race? And... And is not making the team a huge factor in your future as an athlete? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say thank you for your words. And um, I appreciate it a lot. And I'm happy to talk about it. It's It's been a while to um, process it. But I've, I also um, like to believe that, again, I'm not just one result or one accomplishment. And um, that my ski career is more than that. And so... Um, it has been really tough to kind of lick my wounds and, and move on. Uh, making an Olympic team was a dream of mine since I was a really little girl. And I didn't, again, I was pretty lazy, so I don't know where that dream <laughs> came from. <but laughs> I always thought it would be so cool. And um, gradually over the years, that dream kind of became more and more realistic in my eyes. And it wasn't until about a year or two where I was like, wow, I think I actually have a shot at this. And then it wasn't until this summer when I was doing workouts and I believed like, I can do this. I, I really believe in myself right now that I can do this and I'm really excited for it. And, um, you know, even a month ago, I believed I could do it. And I, um, Originally had planned to stay and race at U.S. Nationals, um, qualifying for the U.S. cross-country Olympic team is um, about a 20-page PDF file, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, there are so many variables and races and right. loopholes that go into it, and um, you know, I kind of figured I just have to ski as fast as I can, and mm-hmm. Um, there are so many ways that you can qualify. And I believed that my best chance was at U.S. Nationals. And um, I believed that up until about mid-December. And I, w- I was looking at results from the World Cup. And um, there are so many factors that went into it. But ultimately, I kind of realized that I didn't think there was going to be a spot open for a domestic skier by mid-January. Mm-hmm. I kind of was under the impression that you'd have to be racing world cup and you'd have to be scoring points. And so, um, I made the decision a little bit on a whim, um, to go join the world cup crew and race the tour to ski. And it's something that I've always wanted to do, but also not something that I thought I'd be doing this year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went over there and, um, did my best and, 
unfortunately, none of the races were anything what I thought I was capable of. And um, I'm not really sure what changed in the few weeks between my early season races and then the tour to ski, but I just didn't feel like I had the same energy and the same um, fight inside me and things weren't quite clicking the way I wanted them to. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of, I, I missed my opportunity and and that happens. And, um, you know, I've had a hard time not thinking oh, if only, or what if, and, um, but I, I know that I can't really think that way because there's no changing any of it at this point. Um, and so what I have been reminding myself as I try to process this is that I'm not one achievement. I'm not one race. I am more than that. And, um, skiing to me is more than just the Olympics. And, the people that I've met, the experiences I've had, the places I've traveled, um, that has been pretty incredible. And um, this was a huge realization that I also had last spring after a year of racing through COVID and um, all of the obstacles and challenges that that brought about. Um, I was feeling pretty defeated after last season and I had to go on a little soul search throughout the spring and realize that, again, it's not it's not about results. I am super competitive and I want the results to be there and I want I want to win. But um, I also love every other part about skiing and um, I love to train. I love to race and I love to do it with people that I care about and Um, so yeah, that's just kind of a lesson that I feel like I really learned last year and have been reminding myself about throughout the last few weeks. Yeah. And I, and I think it's worth pointing out that, um, if you watch the Olympic qualification process for the United States or any nation for that matter, it's, it's, some of it's kind of, it's going to land on certain people arbitrarily. Like there are going to be, you know, you might've made the last two Olympic teams based on right where you are in the standings for the United States now, and you didn't do it this time. And that doesn't really reflect on you. <laughs> that reflects on the, the setting. So I, I think that, I mean, you're handling it really well. So, so kudos to you. And, I, and, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to ask the question is I think that it's really important that young and developing skiers who face adversity and face a disappointment like you're facing right now, that we talk a little bit about it and we, and we, and we prepare ki- kids for that possibility just as equally as, as the possibility of making the team their first try, because you might be back in four years. I don't know if you will, and maybe you don't even know if you will, but you might be back in four years and skiing at a much higher level, and, and this is just a, a, a bump in the road. So with that said, do you, do you have a hunch that you'll keep ski racing, or do you think that that, that might be it? I have a hunch that this is not the end for me. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> um, yeah. That's fair enough. I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how long that means or um, what it means, but um, I don't think this is the end. Well, that's great. That's great, and good for you for not even committing to that because you, we're literally days away from 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 this change in your in your <laughs> in your trajectory. So so great. I, I really I really think that you're doing a great job. I I too um, missed an Olympic team, and um, and and Chris actually. Re- Chris will go over it. It'll air on another podcast from special when Chris flips flips the microphone and puts it on me. I tell the story, but so so I know I know what you're feeling, um, and you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I can tell you that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So uh, we we appreciate that. Yeah. 
So we meant to have you on with Johnny Hagenbuck a few weeks ago before you went to the Tour de Ski, but you were busy with the Tour de Ski and we got that. The theme was to kind of be a two-part with the youngest Berkey winners ever. So we've had to push it off until now. And you are the youngest winner of the Berkey, and now you are also a, a, a second-time champion. I know your family has been probably and still is very active in the American Berkey Binder Foundation. So what did that first well, first of all, tell us a little bit about the Berkey and your family and what that, and then, and then link that into what that felt like when you won it for the first time. Yeah. So like I said earlier, my parents, as soon as they picked up cross country skiing, they decided to start racing in the Berkey and other marathons throughout the Midwest. And, um, they did it every single year. I think my mom missed two years when, um, she was pregnant with one of us and then had just had another kid, but, Um, that was the only reason why she wasn't able to race. And so, um, it's just something that our family has always been a part of. And as soon as we were shuffling on our skis, we were out doing the Barnaburki. And then once, you know, my sister got that competitive edge to her, she started doing the junior Berkey. And so obviously I had to follow in her footsteps and do the same. And, um, you know, then I made my way up to the Prince Hawkin race and then the Cordelope and I raced that every single year. And, um, every single year though, I made it to the finish line in time to see my parents finish the race. And, um, for anyone who hasn't been to the finish line of the Berkey, it's incredible. <laughs> it's, um, thousands and thousands of people line the street of, um, Main Street in Hayward, Wisconsin. And, it's just this cheering that is so loud that it kind of like takes your breath away a little bit. And, um, when I grew up, uh, as a little girl, I would poke my head out of the fence and watch the, um, finishers come through. And a lot of the times I'd see the elite, uh, athletes finishing their race. And so I saw a lot of the winners come down main street. I saw, you know, Matt Leapsch pick up his baby from the side and, race across the finish line uh, with 50 meters to go and um, you know people from Europe and all over the world came to compete and I just looked at those athletes and thought they were superhumans and that they uh, were just out of this world and (laughs) it was so impressive and um, so then in 2019 Um, I was finally old enough and was in the Midwest and had the opportunity to race the Berkey. I hadn't been able to do it up until that point. Um, and I, you know, things, things came together for me and I took the advice from anyone I could beforehand. I was asking everyone questions, how to feed, where to feed, when to feed, um, and like what types of tactics go into it. And, um, I really, you know, the last 5k, I went for it and, um, dropped the rest of the field and came down main street. And, um, I was pretty exhausted by that point. And, um, I was just doing anything I could to get to the finish line and I, I couldn't even think about anything. I couldn't even look up at anything. I was just looking at the snow and just telling myself to keep moving. <laughs> and, um, I finally crossed the finish line and 
it was like all of the noise from the crowd kind of came rushing into me and the realization of me winning the Berkey kind of sunk in all of a sudden and I just got so emotional. I I burst into tears and I could not believe that it had actually happened and um, that's another, you know, that's like a dream and a goal that I had as a little kid and uh, never really thought that that would actually happen and so for it to kind of finally come true, it just, it blew me away. And um, there are photos and videos of me uh, at the finish line and I'm just blubbering like a baby. <laughs> I, I mean, um, so it definitely meant a lot. Yeah. So, it's, you know, you've probably won, I know you won some Minnesota State High School championships before that victory. You won, like you I said, didn't actually. Oh, you, you never won state? I've never won. No. Mm-mm. Oh, really? But you've won junior nationals. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you never so, know what's going to happen. Yeah. So the, so the Berkey win is like, I mean, so in our culture, where we grew up in Minnesota, like winning state is like the biggest thing. So you haven't won state, but then you win the Berkey, like not many years later. Um, how how big of a difference was that compared to like winning the state meet for you before going into the Berkey? Was that, was that were they even comparable? I don't know if they were super comparable just because I was at such a different level in my ski racing and they're such different races. Um, But I will say going into the Berkey um, both years now that I've done it and, um, and won, I have remained very calm and I look back on that and I'm proud of that because um, there's so many variables that can go into a race like that. And some of them you can control and some of them you can't. And so, um, I was calm and I was enjoying it and, um, I was with my family and friends and, um, that's kind of what I kept relying on. And, um, I'm excited. I'm signed up for the Berkey this year also, and I hope I can bring that same attitude into it. So I was going to ask you that you beat me to it. So that's great. You you already beat me to that question. But so I, I actually saw and got to talk to Paul Schomer two, three nights ago in a parking lot in Italy. And just to, you know, the Berkey is a big deal in the Midwest. I, I don't think a lot of people around the world. And, and I kind of shed a light on that with a Johnny Hagen book um, uh, piece. I, I, you know, the Berkey is, is something a little more special to Midwesterners than it is to probably everybody else in the world. So much so that Paul just made his Olympic team coming off his first top 10 in a World Cup in biathlon. said to me, you know, I've got the weekend off of the Berkey and I'm thinking about doing it. <laughs> so it kind of reminds me of that. So so in that against that kind of background, that pull of like Paul being a Wisconsinite and, and have never raced the Berkey, that pull of the Berkey, and you being pulled to it and winning it twice. How do you think winning it twice – being from the Twin Cities, how do you think that has shaped your legacy as a cross-country skier for you? Um, I don't know if I have a legacy so much, but um, it's definitely opened a lot of doors and opportunities for me. And it has um, allowed me to meet so many more people and um, get to know the ski community kind of on a different level. Um, there's a lot of times that I'll... Um, be asked to join an event or to meet with people or give a ski lesson um and and just talk to people on the trails too and it's really really great to you just you learn more about your ski community that you came from and um it's obviously a community that kind of built me as an athlete and supported me throughout all the years and so 
it's really, really cool just to be able to um, understand them more and uh, connect with them more. And yeah. Cool. Okay. So just a couple of basic things to, to want to close it down. So what is your favorite thing about being an elite ski racer? Gosh. Um, I, I would say just the places that you get to go. It's, it's pretty spectacular. Um, and this is actually something that I was thinking about just the other day. Um, because you know, it's, I processing the Olympic selection has been a roller coaster for me. And, um, on top of that, there were two more world cups after the tour to ski that I was hoping to race at and they both got canceled. And then I got COVID and, uh, was super sick for a week and it just kind of the last few weeks have been hard and, um, it's been a roller coaster. But one thing that I was thinking about the other day was, um, the places I have been able to go, I've been to New Zealand, I have Hmm. been to China, I've been to Kazakhstan, I've been all over Europe and Scandinavia and um that's just pretty amazing i know there's a lot of people in the world who don't get that opportunity and um so i try every time i go somewhere new i really try to embrace it and get to know the culture and the people and experience the new place and everything it has to offer cool yeah it's it's a great education in and of itself so uh final question once you're done ski racing what do you see yourself doing Um, that changes every single day. (laughs) Um, I, in college, I studied biochemistry and was super into pharmacology. Um, and I graduated thinking that after skiing, I would want to go back to school and, um, become a pharmacist or get a PhD in pharmacology. And, um, over the years, again, it's just completely changed. I, I thought a a little bit about um, going to grad school for biomedical engineering. I have thought about sports science. Um, Lately, I've been super into nutrition and food science and um, have been looking into various programs that I could maybe start next fall, um, which would be part-time online, assuming that I'm um, ski racing still, which I Mm -hmm. think I will be. Yeah. and so I think it, it's really hard to say exactly what, but I would love to join um, both of my passions, which is science and, you know, health and wellness. And um, I would love to kind of figure out something that I could do that that combines those two. Um, but we will see. <laughs> Well, thanks. Really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. And I'm sure you'll find your pathway in both, both uh, ski racing and, and your professional life. But we're certainly going to have our eyes peeled on the downtown streets of Hayward, uh, fourth weekend this year of February after the Olympics. Uh, Elena Sonson, such a pleasure to see you and talk to you. And thanks for joining us for Threshold. Thank you so much. Every sport needs some lore and the united states is a big place for a sport as relatively small and far afield as cross-country skiing that's why the american Birkebeiner is so great and so important while so-called elite ski racers often roll their eyes at the relative insular perspective of the berkey's rank and file faithful the near religion of berkey week is a glue that really has for decades now those eye rollers from outside the midwest can thank the machine that is the berkey for a lot of what gives them support as elite ski racers throughout their careers. 
I am fascinated by the Berkey, and therefore fascinated by the effect winning it has on Midwestern-based skiers who do so. It can become a cottage industry. Matt Leach and Caitlin Gregg have done well by it. In these parts, Caitlin is known more for winning the Berkey four times than for the bronze medal she won at the 2015 World Championships in the 10km freestyle. So when you miss the Olympic team like Elena Sonneson did this year, there are silver linings. She has a special place in the hearts of that Midwest ski racing institution that is the Berkey. And thank goodness for it. When you see her lining up this weekend, give her a thumbs up and wish her luck. She's going for number three. And around here, that's a big deal. That's threshold for this episode. Thanks to Elena Sonneson for joining us, and thanks for listening. See you at the Berkey.